I'm Jason Harmon, and this is API Intersection, where you'll get insights from experienced API practitioners to learn best practices on things like API design, governance, identity auth, versioning, and more. Welcome back to the API Intersection podcast. Here again with my uh, co-host, Phil. I'm Jason Harmon, CTO at Stoplight. Phil helps out on our DevRel side. And we have a very interesting guest today. I think this is going to be a little more implementation talk than we usually get into, but let's see. So we have Kevin Dunglass, who is CEO at, and here we go, I'm going to try, lutilu.coop, which he tells me means lime tree, so uh, maybe that's easier. Almost lutil, which means lime tree. Hello, and thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Thanks for coming on. So maybe, Kevin, give us kind of a quick overview of you know your background, kind of what you're into, that sort of thing. So uh, as you can hear, I'm French, and uh, my English accent is almost as terrible as uh, <laughs> how you can say letiel in French. So, <laughs> so sorry about that, but uh, I'm the co-founder of a worker cooperative called letiel.com. For, for letiel.coop. So the company is uh, 10 years old and we mostly provide professional services for a lot of uh, other companies around the world, mostly French companies, but also English and US and European companies. We mostly provide developers to work on any kind of projects, but we also do consulting and audits and uh, consulting and uh, consultancy uh, uh, around the APIs and uh, around web performance and many things like that. So basically, we are a professional service company, but uh, we also have a lot of uh, people in the worker cooperative uh, who are APIs experts. And we work on the topic uh, of APIs very, very often. At some point in the life of the company, we started to be tired to have to rewrite almost the same thing and almost almost the same tooling for every project with a, a quality that could be nice sometimes and sometimes a bit less nice. So seven years ago, we started to work uh, on an internal framework to build APIs. The, the code name of the tool was API Platform. And at some point, tried to open source the project. So, so seven years ago, we, we created a GitHub repository called API Platform, containing the code of our internal framework to build uh, web APIs. And now it's a project that has a lot of contributors outside of the company, and which is uh, quite popular, especially in the PHP community, because it is integrated with the Symfony framework, which is a, a very popular web framework. When you build APIs with the official distribution of Symfony, basically you get API platform with the framework, even if you can also use API platform as a standalone tool without Symfony. And uh, I'm still the main contributor of API platform, and I mostly focus on the architecture part. There are a lot of uh, other uh, contributors now, and especially uh, a core team of uh, 20 maintainers writing, I think, most of the code. But uh, here we are. And this, uh, for listeners, is Mercure, M-E-R-C-U-R-E, and I love that it's .rocks. It's the website for this API platform that Kevin's referring to. 
I love talking to tooling providers for API stuff because it's like, you know, it it all seems so formulaic. It always seems like, you know, well, this is also reproducible and you can just generate everything. And like kind of where does the line of generating from sort of underlying data sources versus, you know, manually designing things, where does that line start and stop for, for Mercure here? Just to clarify, I'm working on several open source projects. API, API platform is a PHP framework that you can use to expose web APIs. And Mercure.works, it's, a, it's another tool that I also uh, created. It's basically a real-time protocol that you can use to create async APIs. And when you are using API platform, you can expose API using Mercure, but you can also implement and use Mercure in other, uh, with other programming languages and in other technologies. But anyway, to reply to your, to your answer, when we started working on API platform, one of the main constraints that uh, we had is that we, we wanted to be able to not generate code. So with API platform, there are no code generation at all happening. Most of the work when using API platform is when you start a new project, basically, you will start by designing the public shape of the structures, of the data structures that you want to expose through your API. To do so, because it's a tool written in PHP, uh, you will uh, use the explicity of the, the explicity of the PHP language, and we are the main P the structures that is supported by uh, PHP are classes. So you will write classes with uh, type definitions, with the relations between the classes, with the documentation using the integrated PHP documentation to represent the public data structures that you will expose with your API. So basically, if uh, you are used to open API and uh, formats like that, you would write a, a JSON or a YAML file describing the structure of your API. With API platform, you will use PHP to do the same thing. And then with this data transfer object, basically containing all the metadata that you need to be able to expose an API, the framework will handle the infrastructure part and will use these classes to expose an API supporting uh, persistence with common features so as pagination and filtering, sorting, ordering, and things like that. And it will also generate a documentation from the PHP classes. Actually, the tool supports several documentation formats, including OpenAPI, but also Hydra, which is a, a popular uh, API documentation format available as a RDF vocabulary that allow you to use all the semantic web stack. Actually, in API platform, we have a strong focus on the RDF and JSON-LD community and a set of tools. And by default, the API uh, which is exposed by the tool is using JSON-LD as format and document the, the API using the Hydra vocabulary for RDF. Uh, we also support other API formats and other documentation formats, but uh, they are the default, and by default, we want to expose the RDF graph. Where does the RDF come from? The RDF data, you've been? Yeah, I haven't really honestly seen RDF used since like the Sparkle days. So I'm just curious, like what what kind of use case or, or tech brings RDF back from the uh, grave here? I'm not sure that uh, it's the case because are you a Gmail user? Sure. Did you already notice that in Gmail, when you, uh, let's say, you book a flight, 
directly in the Gmail UI. You can see the details of the flight. You have a link to, uh, uh, to the booking uh, and you have uh, the data regarding the flight uh, updated in real time. And also it's added to your uh, Google Calendar. When uh, you are using this feature, you are using RDF. Actually, there are a lot of systems that are using the schema.org vocabulary that is promoted a lot by Google. And schema.org is a RDF vocab vocabulary, just, a, just as Hydra. And actually, to trigger this feature, what you have to do is to include RDF data directly in the body of the email. And to do so, we use the sparkle time is, uh, is passed, is over, okay? But uh, there, are, there is a very popular format that is used for that, which is JSON-LD. And JSON-LD is just a JSON document, including more advanced metadata and especially type, type information. And it's a serialization format of RDF. So it means that it's a RDF data graph, which is compatible with all the older RDF formats, including uh, XML RDF and uh, Turtle and all this uh, quite academic stuff. And you can still use all the existing tooling like uh, Apache, Gina and things like that on top of a RDF document. But it's more uh, easier to, to manage for a, a common web developer or API developer because it's just a special JSON document which is formatted to be easy to read and easy to develop, but uh, with all the capabilities that are provided by RDF and all the, the dream of the semantic web back, uh, back in the days of uh, XML RDF and the Sparkle and things like that is now actually a reality thanks to JSON-LD and schema.org. And basically, most advanced Google features are using this uh, technical stack, the Gmail thing that I already mentioned, but also if you want to expose your data to appear in uh, Google Shopping, you have to use schema.org and to use the, the vocabulary provided by schema.org to map your, your JSON documents and many things like that. So it's why it's the format that we promote and we use by default by API platform. For instance, so you have created the public data structures that you want to expose to the API as a set of PHP classes. Thanks to API platform, you get a working API. And as I was saying just uh, in the previous question, uh, it's not code generation. Everything is entirely dynamic. And so you can also, the only code that you have in your Git repository is the PHP classes representing the data structures that you want to expose to your API. And if you want to specialize the business logic or to change something that is provided by the framework, actually, we because we are tightly integrated with, with Symfony, we use uh, the dependency injection pattern a lot and you can hook your own business logic and replace or, or specialize everything in the framework like that. And with, just with that, you get an API, which by default exposes a JSON LD, uh, uh, JSON -LD uh, resources. This JSON LD document can be very easily using uh, an, uh, an annotation mechanism mapped with any existing RDF vocabulary, including schema.org. And that means that by, if your mapping is correct, then you can just query your API grab the, the resulting JSON document and paste it in the body of a mail or in the body of an HTML page and Google and other compatible services will be able to automatically extract and use the data provided by your API thanks to 
actually RDF and JSONLD and schema.org and the fact that it's unloaded uh, automatically and uh, without the developer having to notice actually uh, by API platform. Nice. I think part of what impresses me about API platform is that it takes a lot of the, the decisions about the various API specifications away from a developer who, I mean, it's quite tricky to work out which combination of things, like when do I get OpenAPI or JSON schema involved and how do I express different formats and how, you know, should I use REST or GraphQL? And like API platform does both, right? And it just kind of lets people define their data model and in one place and business logic in another. And then all of that other stuff is just like an implementation detail that you get out in the box. That seems pretty handy because uh, I've often talked to people about things like JSONLD and they're just like, yeah, sounds like extra work. But if you just kind of shove it in there and you just get it, then that, that makes more people use it, which makes more people likely to use it themselves because more people are already using it. Kind of solves that chicken and egg problem of should we bother spending time to, to work on this extra thing? Sure. And it was uh, one of the, the main design goals of API platform. It was to be able to create API following the, the, the best practices and even uh, supporting very advanced stuff like RDF and, uh, and uh, JSON LD and things like that without uh, an extra burden for the developer. And so it means that the key point of the framework is to be able to be used by the mass. Actually, I did a, a talk at a, an academic conference uh, with a lot of people from the W3C and uh, standard committees and uh, uh, working on Sparkle and RDF and things like that. And the, the title of the talk was uh, Semantic Web for the Masses. And it was exactly this idea that the developer can just write an API very easily in a few minutes, actually. And behind the scene, he gets everything he needs to write something to, to, to have an API following the, the most modern uh, practices and having a lot of features that actually can be used by the consumers of the API, even if the developer of the API doesn't even know that these features, these capabilities are supported by the API. And it's uh, one of the, the, the key points of API platform is to be able to expose a, a lot of advanced capabilities to an API without having to develop it because it's already included in the infrastructure, in the library. Is the goal of API platform to help kind of API beginners maybe or, or small projects with kind of prototyping? Uh, is it something where people kind of start off that way and then kind of grow out of it? Or is it meant to meant to scale with you and, and, and become something that could handle like trillions of requests a day or whatever? Is there a specific kind of goal there? Yeah, the, the, the goal is to uh, be very, very easy to use to create a prototype and to start working on the project and to be able to scale for very uh, huge project with uh, a lot of, uh, of traffic and uh, important uh, good performance, uh, even uh, on distributed architectures and things like that, and to be able to customize everything. So I think that actually it took some time and it wasn't the case uh, in the first version of the tool. But now I think that we have something very handy, allowing to have a very good time to market and to be able to have uh, an API just working in, in basically in a day or, or less than that, but to also be able to, to make very big projects with custom uh, business logic and uh, very good performance uh, with the same tool. The goal is to be able to support both kinds of projects and actually to scale a tiny prototype to a, a production ready pro uh, project without having to touch much of the code and Mostly thanks to the community, because uh, we had a, a lot of, uh, actually, hundreds of contributions 
to uh, improve the extensibility of the framework, to fix uh, some performance problem, to add, we have a very interesting cache subsystem allowing to store all the, the generated uh, JSON documents in a cache server so as a varnish or Cloudflare or thing like that and to not touch PHP at runtime except when there is a change. We have a lot of, uh, of features like that in API platform. Most of them have been contributed by the, the, the community of, of the framework. And so it's because it's an open source project that we are able to have this ability to do something very quickly, but also to scale the project right now. Yeah, I guess I should uh, correct my earlier mistake on giving the name here, but this is api-platform.com. And yeah, for reference, I mean, we're talking 7,000 stars and it looks like you guys really have accelerated a lot in the growth of the popularity in the last like year and a half or so. I have to say I'm particularly intrigued here. So one, we have a guest who actually knows what I mean when I say Sparkle and RDF, which is, I think that's a first. And I'm just personal curiosity, like a lot of people that kind of maybe go a little too far with GraphQL, I'm like, let me tell you a story about a thing called Sparkle and RDF and why it didn't scale. And I feel like there's commonalities with kind of some of the risks in GraphQL of sort of serendipitous querying. I, I get the sense that you know something about that. Do you feel like there are lessons that are sort of portable from some of the scale issues in Sparkle and what we see become problems with GraphQL? Actually, um, I'm not a big fan of, uh, of GraphQL. I think that indeed, with GraphQL, we are kind of partially uh, repeating the same mistakes uh, as with, uh, with, uh, with Sparkle and, 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 and all this stack. But actually, it's even worse because at least RDF and all this complex stack was under the governance of the W3C and it was a joint work between a lot of companies and uh, universities and things like that. And now GraphQL is just under the umbrella of Facebook. So on this point, on the governance and standard part, it's even worse than as a Sparkle. The tooling is way better. The developer experience, the marketing and everything like that in GraphQL is way better as what have been done with, uh, with Sparkle. But indeed, the, the, the problem of uh, having something very open and very hard to put in cache, at least at the protocol level with, uh, with uh, something like uh, HTTP. Uh, yes, and even when it's not, because there are tricks with uh, GraphQL to be able to pass the query as a, as a GET uh, request, but even when uh, it's not uh, a post, it's very hard to have repeating queries that you can easily uh, store in cache. So basically, I think that it's overused. There are very uh, interesting use cases for GraphQL. For instance, if you are building an internal API that you control both all the clients and the server and you want just to build your uh, mobile app and you want to be able basically to access to everything in the database because you trust the clients, then it can be a good solution. If you are creating proxies like you can do with Apollo to give a, a unified endpoint to access to all your different microservices expo exposing different uh, formats and things like that to have a consistent experience, provide a consistent experience, then it can be interesting too. So there are use cases and the JavaScript tools around GraphQL are very, are, are very nice. But for most APIs, it will be easier to maintain, it will be easier to scale, and it will be easier to secure to just follow REST strictly and to be sure that there are not so many variants of the same resources that you can uh, expose so you can have a good cache 
to be sure that you structure your, um, you have different URLs for different resources. So you can very easily write security rules and access control rules and to very easily also analyze your logs to see where you must improve the security or the performance or things like that. I think that for many public APIs, at least, we, lo we lose a lot when using GraphQL. And we bring back the same complexity as with a, a, a Sparkle and things like that without the benefit of the, of the global interoperability that was the, the dream of a Sparkle. It was to be able to use the web as a global knowledge base. And with GraphQL, it's not the case because it's designed from the ground up for silhouette data models. It's, it has been built for Facebook. And it's interesting when you want to query one database The good thing with Sparkle is that you can query many databases and cross the data of these databases. You can even not do that with GraphQL. So in my opinion, you lose a lot for public APIs, but it has interesting use cases for internal APIs. In API platform, indeed, we support both. And with the same code, with the same definition of the data structures that you want to expose through your API, you can have both a REST and a GraphQL API. To be honest, it has been done by uh, someone at my company called Alan Poulin, who, who done most of the work like that because he, he is very interested in GraphQL and he did, he did an excellent work to implement an excellent, interesting work to implement all the features of GraphQL and the, the support of GraphQL in API platform is currently very good. But that being said, we support it because someone contributed it and also because It has some uh, interesting use cases, especially for private APIs. And also because there were a lot of uh, demands, it was a very popular feature request from the community. But anyway, when we do some uh, consultancy uh, and things like that uh, on building public APIs, we always almost recommend to not use GraphQL because it's often more problems and harder to scale that the, the benefits bring by the solution. All right, cool. Well, I'm not the only one who's made this comparison. <laughs> I've made this comparison ever since GraphQL kind of got a big buzz around it that like this, you know, and shout out to uh, Brian Sletton, who I think in the late aughts was talking a lot about Semantic Web and really, I've never worked with Sparkle and RDF, but like, went down the rabbit hole of learning, going, this is fascinating, and then kind of found out. Actually met some people that had worked with it and said, it's great, but when you have a big complex graph of structured information, you innately create serendipitous trouble in that when you try to, in the underlying data, actually make those queries work in ways that you didn't plan for. Right, you look at a database plan, and that means you got a you have a really weird indexing kind of strategy, right? So I think it, you know I, I don't really have anything huge against GraphQL for the record, but I think it's just it's like a cautionary tale from the past that a lot of people don't know. But actually, I think that uh, we should separate Sparkle and RDF because Sparkle. Um, has a lot of interesting use cases, but uh, it's not a good solution for uh, query. To, uh, it's at least for now, in my opinion, exactly as GraphQL. It's not a, go a good solution in most use cases when you want to query live data. But when it can be interesting if you can export the data, install it locally, and then run the queries locally to, to do some stats or things like that. But on the other hand, RDF is very interesting even without Sparkle. 
because the way it makes data interoperable and even the way it recommends uh, and it uh, helps using standard data structures and standard vocabularies to shape the data exposed to JSON, this is interesting. And for instance, if you take a look at API platform, you will see that we have a lot of JavaScript components allowing to help you to build your client applications. So basically, we have uh, uh, what we call API platform admin, which is a tool to build back offices. It's uh, quite similar to the, in the PHP world, we have a lot of tools to build administrations uh, like Easy Admin uh, or Sonata. And there are uh, similar things in the Ruby on Rails world. For instance, you have a scaffolding tool in Ruby on Rails allowing to build the, the back office of the, of the application. So API platform admin, it's almost the same thing. Visually, it's the same thing. But under the hood, it's just a, a standalone React component which you can load in any React application. And that will query any API supporting RDF and exposing the documentation of the, of the API following the, the Hydra RDF vocabulary. And just with that, it will build dynamically, directly in the browser, an administration interface for your API. So it work, works out of the box with the server component of API platform which is written in PHP. But it also works with all other APIs and all other API frameworks, which are able to expose a RDF documentation of the API. And so this part is not related at all with Sparkle, and it doesn't use Sparkle, but it uses the capabilities, the standardization, actually, which is provided by, uh, by RDF. We also have another tool in API platform, which is called the API platform client generator, which is a scaffolding tool. This one um, comes with a lot of skeletons for a lot of popular front-end technologies. So basically, you have a skeleton for React, for Vue, for, uh, to generate TypeScript definitions, to uh, generate skeletons of uh, mobile apps in various uh, frameworks. And basically, it works as the administration system it will make a first query to the API, retrieve the standardized documentation of the API in RDF, and it will uh, use the provided skeleton to generate, this one is a code generation tool, to generate uh, a, a CRUD application in the selected technology. So basically you select the, the React skeleton, and then you get a working uh, minimalist, but working uh, React application that queries this API. Again, it works with any API, uh, even if it's not written with the API platform server component, uh, as long as it exposes the data structure as RDF. You could say that we could do that with OpenAPI too. And actually, these tools have uh, basic support for OpenAPI. But the, the, the thing is that even if uh, OpenAPI is, uh, is, is close from what can be done with uh, Hydra and RDF, uh, we didn't manage yet to have the same level of, uh, of uh, uh, features with OpenAPI, especially because with RDF and JSON-LD and Hydra, we are sure of what uh, the API will respond. The, the data structures are uh, are, mandat are always the same, and it's mandatory if you want to implement the specification. So it's easy to write a, a generic client for that. With OpenAPI, because by definition, uh, it uh, documents, uh, you, you can document any uh, uh, data structures with OpenAPI, we can do things and we, we manage to do 
interesting things, but uh, it's harder. Uh, and we, we, we didn't manage yet to have the same level of, uh, of features because of, uh, because of this. Yeah, I have to admit, I have not spent a lot of time in like JSON-LD and Hydra and some of these kind of REST-oriented standards. And I didn't really grasp the relevance of RDF and all of it. So thank you. Uh, <laughs> definitely like gave me a good obsessive bucket of things to read up on that I uh, feel blind to now. So that's awesome. What is very nice for people like you uh, who are uh, who know what RD what RDF is and where is that when you take a look at this new way of using RDF, actually you can even use all these tools without uh, noticing that it is RDF. Uh, when you browse the documentation of uh, Hydra and uh, and things like that, I think that uh, you you the, the word RDF isn't uh, written uh, anywhere on the website. And actually, it's also because in terms of marketing, it can be a bit scary for people having used the old RDF uh, with uh, the Axiomel RDF and uh, and Sparkle uh, and things like that. Uh, that was uh, very complicated to use. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, again, that's api-platform.com. And, you know, as I think we've already accidentally dabbled into, Kevin's involved in a lot of open source stuff, which certainly fits in nicely with Stoplight's uh, open source theme lately. We've been kind of digging into this whole community and figuring out what's going on. But this is definitely a, a different look than we've had on on the podcast here and looking at like, I think it's like a common mistake with REST kind of oriented stuff is people go bake it themselves from scratch, get into trouble and then go, REST is too much work. And so I need to go find something that just works and you end up with you know, the GraphQL kind of scale problems we talked about and things like that. So I think it's a valuable perspective to bring. Although I'm curious to see how many of our listeners are using PHP on a regular basis and would benefit. Not saying there isn't, I'm just curious. <laughs> well, Kevin, any kind of closing thoughts for us here on, you know, where you see all this going, kind of things that, you know, users of these open source products might, you know, kind of benefit from with things you have coming, stuff like that? Just on the... the PHP, the PHP thing. Uh, <laughs> I kind of agree with you. Basically, when the, we, we hesitated when we started to, the project uh, to, to use PHP, we have uh, at the time we started the project, PHP was still very popular. It's still very popular in France, uh, and Symfony is still very popular, and it's why uh, we started with uh, with PHP. PHP is improving every year and PHP 8.1 will be, uh, will have a, a lot of uh, exciting new features and it is filling the, the gap uh, with uh, other languages and it is now faster than languages such as Python, for instance, and something that, it, that has to be, to be known. But indeed, if you are not already a PHP developer, it can be an issue. And I, what I, I really like is that uh, all these formats and uh, RDF, Hydra, JSON, all this stuff, it will be uh, very benefit for API platform and I think the, the web at the world and the API community as well, if, as well, if Hydra and JSON LD and uh, under the hood RDF were more implemented by more popular uh, frameworks, especially in other languages, for instance, Something like a fast API in Python is a very is an awesome tool, and it's something that is very very similar in terms of approach with API platform. It is basically the same thing that you start working on the design of your API first, and then you add the code. Something that is a shame, in my opinion, is that fast API hasn't support for this 
this format for RDF for JSON uh, LD and things like that. And I think that it will be a very big and good step for the API community if more tools outside of uh, the Symfony and PHP ecosystem were getting support for JSON LD and Hydra. And it's also the reason of uh, these formats, it's interoperability. So to have something very interoperable, we need support in uh, more ecosystems. Nice. You didn't have to come on the podcast to make a feature request. You can just do that anyway. <laughs> yeah, I guess uh, l- listeners in other languages who uh, are vibing with the story on a- on API platform here, you know who to talk to now. <laughs> I feel like this episode, I've sounded like older and stodgier than I ever have on here. I'm like, GraphQL is a new fancy crappy thing. Just look at old Sparkle, whatever. And uh, it maybe sounded like I was knocking on <laughs> PHP a bit there. But for the record, I love things that you can't kill. That's why I like Python's one of my favorite things. Just because in premise, like the thing's been around forever and you can't kill it. It just keeps coming back better and stronger. I think PHP is in the same bucket. I ran a PHP site for 10 years. Uh, <laughs> it's cheap, it's fast, it's good. Every time I work with TypeScript, I say to myself, mm, actually, PHP is not that bad. <laughs> yeah, we're a, we're a TypeScript shop, so I feel you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, TypeScript is a very, very good language. But for instance, I tried to, to work on something similar to API platform with TypeScript. And I am sure that I will uh, manage to do something like that at some point. But TypeScript hasn't a reflection or introspection API. There is a stub of something, but uh, you have that uh, in Go, you have that uh, in uh, Python, you have that in PHP, but not in TypeScript. And it's it makes sense because of uh, the history of TypeScript and because of JavaScript and because of many things. But when you want to do something so as API platform or fast API, it's a big limitation. And you say, okay, uh, PHP has a lot of uh, of uh, limitations and has a lot of uh, drawbacks and has a bad history, even if it's better now. But it also has a very interesting feature that other popular languages that are well known by the, the common web developer haven't yet. Yep. Well, you definitely give us some good things to think about here. I think, again, it was kind of a good change of pace to get into uh, some framework specifics, see what you know is going on in open source world and all the JSON-LG Hydra stuff, I sometimes discount as like, oh, that hasn't taken over, so it's not the thing. But I think there's tremendous progress going on. So thanks, Kevin, for opening our eyes to a couple of things here. And thanks again, Phil, for uh, helping co-host one more time. Yeah, cheers. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, thanks again for listening to the API podcast. And we'll see you on the next one. Thanks for listening. If you have a question you want to ask, Look in the description of whichever platform you're viewing or listening on, and there should be a link there so you can go submit a question, and we'll do our best to find out the right answer for you.